so one, I had found like sort of my co-founders and just really wanted to spend more time with them, right? Mm -hmm. They were the people that like constantly inspired me to do better work, you know, they would raise the bar. Uh, the second one was also like a type of working, right, that we really enjoyed, which is like, you know, this brand-centered product development. And the third one, and the most important one, is also the why. Like, we saw a huge, you know, a huge opportunity in the creativity space, right? We've seen people build and make massive investments in productivity tools, like the office suites. We've seen great investments in entertainment, from music players to like, um, you know, video to to gaming, sure. right? But you know, but but creativity really wasn't well served. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In this episode 102 of 40 Minutes of SaaS, the second in our six-part series with George Pechnik. We hear about his work as an engineer in the world of video compression and how a hilarious chance meeting with a Stanford professor in a dance class led to George discovering he'd been a designer for years without knowing it. Not just a great engineer. We also learn how the naming of the company George founded in New York, 53, related to the human body and the enablement of creativity. HP, Lucent, IBM, Microsoft, you had a, so you did, you did go through a few corporates um, yeah. over the years. Talk to us a little bit about, about that, that, that experience and feel free to jump into other things uh, while you're taking us down that road. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, given, given that I always, you know, had been working every weekend or <laughs> such growing up, like, you know, once I was in university, you know, I, I also had then the good fortune to do various internships and that took me to... Um, some, you know, it took me to like HP, Hewlett Packard at that 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 time into a fascinating field called semiconductor test. Okay. It's 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 a field very few people know about, but essentially it's equipment that tests chips. So ah. before you package chips, one of the most expensive things in making a chip is actually packaging it. Yes. So and you want to package a chip when you know it works, not you know package it after you um, you know and then find out that it works. And so there's these semiconductor testers. And it was really a fascinating place because uh, at that time, you know, it was the first time that, you know, it was very technical on the one side, but it was actually, I was working in marketing there, which yeah. meant translating some of those stories about these semiconductor testers into making them approachable. I'll, I'll which, is, which is maybe a hard thing to do. It is. It, is it, a sound, hard... it doesn't sound exciting on first hearing. Yeah. yeah so, and in, in one of the one of the things like why this is actually sort of in the if, if you followed like the rise of Intel and PCs, um, wh why that was actually at that time a really interesting moment was that that we were testing new memory standards, in particular memory standards called Rambus, that actually allowed for like higher throughput memory. It was sort of a bottleneck problem in, in the computing industry at that okay. time. And, testers, we figured out how to do this. And the company was called Rambus, and I was writing sort of the case study in the, the marketing report about this. I'll, I'll, um, I end up getting so convinced by my own writing that this is the future of memories and all of this that I took all of my, like, you know, all of my, um, my internship dollars and like ended up investing, buying shares in Rambus. Okay. Right? And this was like the late 90s, right? So product could have bought any type of company, it would have gone up, but Rambus did increase in value quite a bit and ended up being able to like sell these shares. 
and get out of college without like without any debt. So I was able to, to pay Fantastic. off my loans. Yeah. The crazy thing is many years later, I ended up like, you know, going to, to Stanford and studying computer engineering and computer graphics. And one of my advisors ended up being Professor Horowitz, who was the founder of Rambus. <laughs> it was like, it's one of these crazy things where that I'm like, is you know, totally the first crazy. thing when I met with him, I was like, you know, Mark, I'm here because I, you know, I, I bought because, you, because I got to buy like some of those, you know, some of those Rambus shares. And the first question he asked me is like, well, did you sell? And, and I said, is like, absolutely. I got so, I mean, it, it did shoot up and then, of course, it, yeah. it, you know, dropped like everything then ended up dropping. And he was happy for you, right? He was very happy for me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a funny thing how we are like, we're so connected in each other's creations, even like in, you know, in, in, in different ways. But yeah, that was sort of HP and then, and then Bell Labs and IBM, that was all about high definition television and HDTV, uh, how to really bring forward like video compression image compression that was like around MP3s and MPEG-2 ah, yeah. uh, and really translating that into television standards and seeing the launch of that. That taught me also a really interesting lesson that, you know, we, we thought we were seeing the future. We were seeing these high resolution TVs and they were there in the lab and they were working, right? For the first time, right? <laughs> but yeah, it would take another eight to 10 years before that was like a consumer thing, right? So that's, Absolutely, that's yeah. one of those, those, those pieces, but it, it, it definitely, and why did it take eight to ten years to get? Oh, because you're talking about like an infrastructure change, right? Ah, you're talking about a mass protocol and infrastructure change, right? So, yeah. so there's a lot more pieces moving parts yeah. to that. Yeah, there is a just and, a and also, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because at first, like you know, people were saying like, oh, you're working on these thin TVs, right? Because you know, people didn't understand that no, they actually have higher resolution too. But it was like the LCD that like, was smaller and thinner was like sort of the the you know the, you know, the bigger the bigger yeah. thing. It's true. People actually thought that was the reason. That was the reason. They, they right, would go, it, "Oh, it's slick no. and space and blah blah blah." No, it was, it was an advantage, but it wasn't the reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's something like sort of the image, the image compression thing, then really like pushed me towards like more the computer graphics direction because I realized like, look, the you know compression. It makes for a great show called Silicon Valley right now, right? <laughs> you know, the, the compression is, might be the hot field, but it turns out changes in compression just take a long time to, to manifest themselves. So I ended up going more towards from image processing over into the computer graphics because it uh, allowed me to, to follow aesthetics as a dimension, right? Because I was like, like, at some point you can't squeeze out more bits out of an image, but sure. you can definitely make a better image, right? And that has always been sort of been a, that's launched me then into the productivity tools. Um, for me, the connection is like, you know, I ended up then finally making my way to like Microsoft again, you know, working my way through productivity tools there, first online version of Office and then another version of Office. Um, and then a stint in Microsoft research, doing more work in photography, computational digital photography there. This is developing a lot of new photography algorithms. But I always felt like, you know, there's something you know, the moment going back to this idea, the moment you've sort of mastered the, the product making, like you really start asking yourself, well, why? What is the next product you want to build? And, and why, are you, why are you doing it? And, and I mean, you know, when we've chatted, I think I remember you saying something about the ratios between designers and engineers, the difference between a Microsoft and an Apple in this, in this period. While at, at, at Stanford, doing my studies in computer graphics, I was exposed to, to design. I had a chance to then study under David Kelly. He's the founder of IDEO, and, and, and he, at that time, was developing a lot of like, more design curriculum. Design thinking was you know, sort of being popularized or started to be becoming popularized. 
entering Microsoft again, this is sort of my second stint at Microsoft, like I then started realizing that there is a huge design deficiency. Like it wasn't, sure. you know, it was manifest in, in that like for every you know, designer, there were about 40 to 50 engineers. Wow. And it meant that, uh, you know, it's, insane. It's, it's, it's crazy when you think about it today, <laughs> right? But, yeah. you know, but the way how an organization would talk about this is like, you know, this designer is just not good. And I was like, why are they not good? It was like, well, they did, didn't deliver their work on time or they didn't think about this at great depth. <laughs> And then when you understand that this that one designer who's not quote unquote good is has like you know forty to fifty type A really brainy people around them like with their own objectives like you start realizing that this is not you know all that you know tenable or sustainable as a job and so it actually once you were, I was doing the research in that area I'm like you know what's really going on here so I wrote a report I think week report called Light Up Design at Microsoft which is you know, sent to Bill Gates for his Think Week to read through. But there was a chart in there that showed that, you know, the average tenure of a designer at Microsoft at that moment was about 18 months, oh. but it took 24 months to hire them. <laughs> so, you know, they were, so the team was just desperately trying to hire designers, but it just was super hard to do. And then like in the middle of that, like, you know, the iPhone launches. Yeah. So, so now, you know, it became very, the, the iPhone at that time was just, it, it was the result of a different process, a different mentality. And, and of course, like Apple is a different company than Microsoft at that time. But it was, um, you know, the big difference there was actually the role that design played in, as, the, as the main integrator in, 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 a, in a product experience. Um, when I interviewed um, Gary Tan, uh, he talked about, um, he talked about this, he, he interned or worked for a year with Microsoft and said that, and he's a type A engineer type guy, but also he's a thoughtful type, He's a VC now, and he's also was a successful entrepreneur. Um, he said that it, you know he knew it when he was there. Um, they were they had all the things they needed to build an iPhone, um, all the components. Mm -hmm. But instead, they spent all their time trying to copy the BlackBerry, build another BlackBerry basically. And he said that this was just a this was just it taught him that just trying to replicate something and maybe do something iterative or or, or do something cheaper was just a, a dead end in terms of in terms of producing yeah. something in the world. So so that is like so the organization that ended up joining called you know it was called the Pioneer Studios at the time, which also was building like Windows Phone and Windows Mobile and there were several phones that were being developed, also tablet products that were being developed. Like I can I can with high confidence say that every major organization, the LGs, Samsung, like you know, Microsoft Every possible permutation of cell phone existed in every company, right? The the sliding oh, yeah. thing, the you know the uh, the type like the BlackBerry style one, yeah. you know the touchscreen one, right? Yeah. That like the the like every possible like Nokia had every possible permutation of phone, sure. like Sony probably had every possible permutation of phone, Samsung had every possible permutation of phone. But Apple chose one very clear direction and made it work really really well like throughout the entire stack, right? And the way to do this is that you need to have a very strong brand identity, very wrong, clear brand vision around this. And you do need to have like a design team that can then integrate properly across hardware, software, and service, uh. right? And so what we ended up doing actually in, in, you know, at that time then also, you know, really empowering and elevating how design would work. Once you actually needed a critical mass of designers, you needed to build brand and product at the same time. 
right? Because you know, you're working with many different, you're working with hardware vendors and multiple you know, time zones, you're working with software people, right? But you have then sort of the ability to translate a brand and a product vision across all those different disciplines and bring that together. But it all started by having just critical mass on the design side, right? And so that, that is something like, you know, Jay Allard had sponsored in um, that, that team. Jay Allard had created the Xbox at that point, and then, um, and that then really essentially also then really drove a huge renaissance of design at Microsoft that has paid off now many, many years later. And, you know, I suppose all of that was formative in, in your decision to, at some point, Join 50, jump ship and, and start 53. And, right. and start 53. And, and, and I remember chatting with you in Berlin and there was something about dance as well. I remember you, you were incredibly passionate about dance and, and that was a big part of, so do bring that in at some point in sure. the conversation. Yeah, uh, you know, because I think that was impactful as well in your life. Uh, yeah, in most aspects of your life. Yeah, so I mean, the the, the impetus to start fifty three, right, was was one. You know, I was you know we were at a point, you know, when I had met some of my you know co-founders, you know, working on the Pioneer Studios on a product called Courier, um, which you know Microsoft recently actually launched as Neo and Duo as the Neo and Duo Surface, like as a two-screen tablet product, but it was. You know, so one, I had found like sort of my co-founders and just really wanted to spend more time with them, right? Mm -hmm. They're the people that like constantly inspired me to do better work. You know, they would raise the bar and, you know, I, I mean, it's just, I just wanted to spend more time with them, right? So starting a, a company reason. is a great way to spend a lot of time with the people you chose. Uh, the second one was also like a type of working, right, that we really enjoyed, which is like, you know, this brand-centered product development. And the third one and the most important one is and also the why. Like we saw a huge, you know, a huge opportunity in the creativity space, right? We've seen people build and make massive investments in productivity tools like the office suites. We've seen great investments in entertainment from music players to like, um, you know, video to, to gaming, sure. right? But, you know, but, but creativity really wasn't well served, right? Okay. And that's sort of when we saw then essentially the iPad uh, emerge, right? We knew like from an ergonomics perspective that this would be a different device, right? It was less than two cans of Coke, uh, which is important. <laughs> it's less than 600 grams, um, which meant people would carry it. Yep. And it's instant on, right? That was super important because you could, if you had a thought, you could very quickly, the software could be there to record it, right? And it has a, a large working surface. Right. So that, those were some of the really important conditions for us to then say, like, you know, there is a huge opportunity here to actually think through how creation and mobile creation should look and work. And that's when we then started 53. And, you know, the name, you know, is very much inspired from, like, working with an industrial designer, but also, like, being familiar with the body, right? Um, the length of the average arm's reach is 53 centimeters. That's space between head, heart, and blind canvas, right? It's in that circumference where, like, people do their best work and we wanted to make sure that our tools, you know, essential tools for creation would fit in that space. That's, that's, that essentially where in, in one number we essentially wrapped up, like, um, you know, mapped to the human body, like what uh, we set out to do with 53. So you had the why and you had the, 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 the core brand and you had the team as well. Yeah. Okay. In episode 103 of 40 Minutes of SaaS, the third in our six-part series with George, he will explain why he was compelled to take a huge risk in order to empower creativity and how, in going against countless naysayers and the posthumous advice of Steve Jobs, he managed to make the stylus cool again. 
You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, to Ketsu for the music, and to Anders Getz for the transcript. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and of course, give the show a rating.